to the God Coffee and Resilience Podcast, where you can get your weekly dose of confidence, motivation, and inspiration in the midst of adversity. In every segment, we will discuss faith, life's obstacles that try to get in our way, and how we can maintain our resilience with God and a whole lot of coffee. I am Reese, your host. Grab a mug of your choice and come on in. Welcome back to God Coffee and Resilience Podcast with your host, I'm Reese, and today we have a very unique guest with us today. I'm so excited to interview Coach Faye. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I can't complain. This is a great Saturday. Um, The temperature dropped to 59, so I can definitely tell we're in fall now. (laughs) I can definitely tell it's fall here where we, we had almost snow the other day, just like a, a little layer of it. And I was like, wow, I'm like, this is Canada for you. Oh, man. No, it's too early. Just like uh, here in the United States, they are putting up Christmas trees and they got them all out in the store and stuff. I'm like, y'all just love the rush these holidays, don't you? <laughs> yep. Oh, man. So, oh, goodness. I lost my train of thought. Oh, that's what I was going to tell you. So once I press this record button, I know we were like chatting a little bit before, but um, there's a delay in us talking. So for the most part, I'm going to try not to say too much when you're talking. So I'll be reacting with nonverbal gestures. (laughs) Just so you know. (laughs) And is this a visual podcast or just audio? Both. Good to know. Yes, both. So um, we'll touch base on that afterwards. But I'm super excited for you to tell your story of resilience and things that um, you kind of went through. And usually I try not to tell the audience anything so that it's fresh and they have no type of, you know, preview or anything. So they have no idea what we'll be discussing today. But before we get into our topic, I definitely want to do an icebreaker. And the first question is a two-part question. The first question is pretty much, it's gentle. I go easy on you in the beginning. And I just ask you, what is your favorite caffeinated beverage? Tea. I am a tea drinker for many reasons. Tea. What type of tea? Uh, I like Red Rose. I'm a big chai drinker for Saturday and Sundays, but work days, mm-hmm. it's usually uh, caffeine, um, caffeine-free tea right now because we are expecting our first baby. So I'm doing a lot of ginger water with honey. It's a miracle cure. Aww. Well, congratulations. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. What is, what is the rose tea? I've never heard of that one. Um, I don't know. I think my grandmother used to serve it to me and I've seen it a lot of times at like, you know, in the college cafeteria or, you know, businesses. It's, it's, um, it's the brand is called Red Rose and it's just a black tea. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that is on my list. Cause I do drink tea. I do drink hot tea and I, um, and I drink a lot of coffee during the week because I think every, almost everybody in medicine is a coffee drinker. Um, I think Mm -hmm. so (laughs) in the morning, if I don't have my coffee, I can't function. Um, but definitely I'll be looking for the red rose brand. 
that's that's exciting. Um, and then the the second question I have for you usually stumps a lot of people, but I don't know. You may be different. But um, what are three things that most people usually wouldn't guess about you or know about you? Oh, I like this one. Um, I'm Hispanic. People uh-huh. don't, don't figure that out very often. I um, was born in a separate country from where I lived most of my life. People don't really guess that one. And I think mm-hmm. the third one is that I'm a little bit of an introvert. I'm coming to terms with this, but I'm much more introverted than I thought. Most people think I'm a big extrovert. And I've said for years I'm an extrovert. Yes, I would have thought you were an extrovert because you weren't nervous and you didn't, like, when I talk to you, it just flows <laughs> when we were talking earlier. So I wouldn't have never guessed that. Not at all. Well, thank you for sharing. I like those. Ah, oh, goodness. Okay. So I guess we'll get into this interview. I'm super excited. So you've already mentioned to us that you're in Canada, um, but kind of give us the, the backstory. Did you live in Canada all of your life or um, did you just recently move to Canada? Well, I haven't technically moved to Canada yet. That's that's a hiccup in the story. Okay. Um, my husband and I met um, about two years ago. Uh, we were in an online community support community, and we were really good friends. We used to there was a chat room feature, and we both happened to join the chat room feature same time, same day, first time, um, wow. which I should have should have been a signal. But um, I joined, then he joined, and he was like, "I'm the new guy," and I'm like, "I'm new too," and we just started building up a, a community there within this this community. And we got really close and people would always say, you two should be a couple. And we're like, no, 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 he's, he's married and I've got a partner and you know, all that. But they're like, you guys are so cute together. And at the time, um, I had just, I was ending an eight-year relationship. And it took me about 20 times to leave that situation because it was, I deeply loved the person. We were just not compatible. And by the time I fully left, uh, the pandemic had hit. And at that point, um, Philip, who is my partner and husband, um, was really a support for me. He's a paramedic and he was in Canada. So when the whole pandemic hit, um, he was getting updated news faster than we were in the States because I was currently living in New York with my family. And so between all of our international friends and us and him, I was getting more updated information about COVID that hadn't really been released in New York and I kind of knew something was coming, but I went to Walmart the day I moved out and, you know, bought all the new stuff, the new trash can, the new toilet paper, all of this, and was in my own apartment. And then when I was in Walmart, it was very much the um, kind of World War Z moment. Like hundreds of phones went off at once. The people were running around. The first thing I saw is a woman take toilet paper out of someone else's cart. And I was like, and I was oh, on the phone God. with him just checking in. And he's like, go check the TP. And it was such a vivid memory for me. And it was it was almost traumatic in the sense that it wasn't real. Like there was no, there was one roll of toilet paper left. And it's like, do I be the community person leave it for someone else or do I, I take it? And in that moment, I said, I have to put me first. I'm a single woman now. I have to put me first. And the whole experience was crazy because people were pushing and shoving and children were scared. And the first moment I saw women hug their children super close, like, you know, like there's something out there. And I was like, I feel like I'm in World War Z. And it took me mm-hmm. six hours to get through Walmart that day just because of how many people and things. And I was determined to stay calm. Like, 
I was like, I have a place. I know, I don't know what's coming, but I need to stock up because if I don't do it today, I won't be able to do it tomorrow. That was his advice. So he helped me prep for the first time. I've never been a prepper. I'm like the person who has no flashlights when the power goes out. And the thing is, when he, him living in Canada, you don't have a choice. For instance, we, we have a car and we have to keep emergency blankets and emergency kits. Because even if we're just driving to the city for a day, we could get stuck on the road in the snow. Like, it's a very much more real situation than I experienced in New York. Mm-hmm. And I got through the Walmart experience. I have a blog post up about it. But it was the first time I really felt like I'm stepping into being an adult because my mom wasn't going to the store. My friends weren't shopping. I was like, I'm picking you guys up batteries. I'm picking you guys up flashlights. And I was like, oh, it'll be done in a few days. And like all of a sudden it wasn't. And my mom is in her 60s. Her husband's in his 80s. They're both, you know, considered elderly and like they weren't, they couldn't go anywhere. So I was for months doing the shopping and, you know, I lived with them all of this, the first whole summer and into the fall. And eventually Philip and I were like, we are a real couple. We really committed to each other. And we dated then for 11 months long distance because I wasn't allowed in Canada and he wasn't allowed in the States. And then there was this small opening in um, uh, last November. We literally found out about it by talking to an immigration lawyer in Washington state. And he's put us in touch with an immigration lawyer in Canada who got me permission we had to get married. So, you know, I never met in person. And I fly out to with my four little suitcases of my whole life to Washington state. And he flies in and we had about six days that we just got to know each other. Then we got mm-hmm. married, a beautiful wedding. He set the whole thing up for me. It was like my dream wedding, like had the big staircase and the dress and it just, everything fell into place. And mm-hmm. I came back with him. I was like, I'll be back in January. I'll be back for Christmas. Like, but no, like once that once I was across the border, like there was no going back because I wasn't vaccinated at first. And then, you know, you need to be double vaccinated. And like, so it's been a process. Like I thought I'd be back by Christmas mm-hmm. and I just, I've stayed and we, you know, had to deal with getting to know each other as a couple and, you know, all of the pet peeves you deal with. And then there was in-laws <laughs> who we were living with, like, you know, just new country, new, new, new money. Like I'm still like, I, um, just one more short thing. I, um, the first time I went to order food myself, he forgot dinner and I went to bring him dinner at work. And I go up to the, the A&W. We don't have A&W in New York. And so they have all these burger choices. And it's like, you know, the Papa Burger and the Mama Burger. And I just like my burgers with like lettuce and tomato, like super simple. And the guy took an hour to help me order because I couldn't figure out the menu. And he was right. so nice. He's like this young kid. He's like, it's the New Yorker. And I'm like, this is that's what I got known around town as the New Yorker. And it just it, that's just been the experience. It's kind of like just stepping into the unknown. But that's yes, so definitely. Oh my goodness. Okay. So woo, 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 woo. you you mentioned so much. Oh my goodness. Well, congratulations on uh finding your soulmate and having that. That's a scary thing. Like you took such a huge risk, but I'm happy everything fell into place. Obviously, he's the one. Um and he seems like, you know, he got it together, but you guys click unlike the other relationship. And so Oh my goodness. Okay. So there's so much I want to ask and I'm getting like 
caught up because my mind is going. So family, in-laws, like, was the family supportive? Um, did things kind of chill out with that? Was his family super uptight or your family super uptight or anybody uptight? Or was everybody just like, cool? <laughs> I think it depends. And that's actually something we coach our clients on. Um, his family immigrated from Europe at one point. My mom mm -hmm. is super Americanized. Very, very different cultural values. I love his parents. He loves my mom. Everybody loves each other. There's just a lot of different cultural values when you're actually in a host house because um, he had a house that his family was living in that I came into and incredibly different values. Like I never thought of myself as super Americanized. I've done a lot of traveling. I've been internationally like traveled. I've um, spent time many different places, different countries, South America, Europe. Um, so I think compared to the like my American friends who I, who haven't left the States yet to travel. Um, I've been much more exposed to um, communal cultures. So I kind of have an understanding of, you know, why someone would put their, their parents first instead of their own happiness. And kind of cognitively, I can understand that. Um, mm -hmm. I have a background in diversity training. So it's something I've thought about a lot, but this was very different. Like, you know, when you're in a household for the first time and you're meeting people and all of a sudden it's, it's not just your desires. It's not like, hey, like, because in my town, like my mom, for me, it was like, hey, I'm going out to the restaurant or I'm going out to coffee or I'm going to meet a friend. Here it was very much like everybody had to make the decision. And it was, uh -huh. so we had a lot of shifting values. And about a year later, we're kind of adjusting. Um, yeah. My husband and I are currently um, in a different province from them only because his job brought him out here. And he and I have, like what you said, we're very compatible and we have mm -hmm. similar values. But his parents and I have very different values, and my mom has very different values from them. So it's kind of like, I'm curious to see what happens when the whole family gets together for Christmas sometime. But I oh, think that's, I think that's a, a big part of it. It's just it's the values and to understand, to separate not loving someone because you don't agree with their values. Or um, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, I don't like my mother-in-law or I don't like my father-in-law. But it's, it's not the person. It's just you mm -hmm. have different perspectives. And if you can put your sh yourself in someone else's shoes, you can oftentimes understand why they did what they did. Even if it wasn't what you wanted, it comes from a place of love. Right. Definitely. So, goodness gracious, do you have um, siblings? I do not have siblings. You don't have siblings. Okay. Oh, goodness. I the only and I'm an only child. Oh, Lord. Lucky. But no, not to say, Amir, if you're listening, I love you. That's my little brother. We're five years apart. And so I'm just like, ah. But, you know, learning how to share and be there for each other, I guess. <laughs> well, do you and your husband ever look back on how things have started versus where they are now and ever just sit and like reflect together and like, wow, we really did this? <laughs> Every day. Every day. Um, <laughs> our coaching is around abundance. Uh, I consider myself an absolute abundance coach. And uh -huh. our mission is really to help um, our clients, usually couples, um, one person who's in a couple or uh, a polydynamic, um, understand their partner better. And we feel like that's our power. That's our superpower as a couple is that we, we ask the hard questions. We have the hard talks. We, we say the hard things because we were open and honest at all levels. Right. And I think a lot of couples, they have those early discussions about where they want to go. You know, are we having kids? Are we not? And one person goes, oh, I don't want kids now. 
Well, the other person goes, well, that means someday they want kids. And then 10 years down the line, when there's no kids and the person who wanted kids, like, where are our children? The person's like, I never wanted kids. Because they only had a discussion the first month or two they were together. And then you just build a story of, of who you think your partner is and what they want. Um, but he and I are constantly talking about reassessing our goals, our commitments, our dedication to each other, financially what we need to do to get where we want to go. And I think having those conversations often and regularly is what keeps us really cohesive and in line, aligned. Yeah, I definitely agree because it's some questions um I guess certain people don't even know what to ask, you know, sometimes you just know, like you're attracted to someone and you guys start talking, but then you get on the phone, like maybe like the first month or so uh, y'all can't shut up. You want to know everything about each other. And then after a while, all that kind of dies down and it's like, so how was your day? My day was fine. How was your day? Oh, my day was great. All right. Well, talk to you later. Like, it's just, you don't know what else to talk about. So I'm happy that you mentioned like talking about goals and money and future, you know, achievements, accomplishments and things like the hard conversations. Because I guess too, some people think, well, it's too early to have that conversation. I don't want to scare them away or, you know, I don't want to talk that way because they're thinking I'm trying to pressure them into making a decision or being with me long term or all this other stuff when you're in a dating phase. And until I guess I don't know if there's like a certain time that people are looking for, but I guess you've been dating for a while and then you're like, okay, then it's appropriate to have these conversations. But I, I'm kind of like on the fence where um, I'm just like, well, it depends on the person. Well, how comfortable do you feel with them to ask them the question? I guess if you don't feel comfortable to talk to them about that, then maybe they could, it's a chance they couldn't be your person because you should feel comfortable with your person. Right. I think there's different ways to feel comfortable. I think a lot of people have this very Disney, I just use Disney as an example, but like a Pixar yeah. kind of movie quality. This is what my life is supposed to be. You know, I, uh, I grow up, I have an adult, I get the money, I get the car, I get the house. Like there's things people check off, you know, that, that checklist we all have. And our parents mm -hmm. expect it from us, but they were in a very different time period, different world, like pre-internet. Um, our boss expects of us, like, you don't want to be that one woman going to the Christmas party without a partner or a man going to the Christmas party without, like, that beautiful woman on his arm. Like, there's all these stigmas in our society that are not us. They don't come from inside. They come from outside. And I think the difference with this experience I've had with my husband is that we don't care what the outside says. I think we know he's my person that it doesn't matter what we look like. We, we, people think we're the cutest couple because like, he's like super, super tall and I'm super, super <laughs> short. And like, we don't look like we'd match, but we're so happy. And it's just so clear we're in love. And I think those are the couples who are able to turn off the external world to some extent and just enjoy the internal experience and support the other person's external experience, um, internal experience that that's when love really like deep love I think mm -hmm. a lot of things people talk about to me would be surface love. I had a ton of partners over the years. I started dating very young who were surface mm -hmm. love. It was like that hot flame that burned hot and then you didn't know what to do with it, but you got into such a long-term situation, you don't know where to leave. But this for me is such a new experience to have like the inside soul reached every day. It's not just, you know, oh, your hair is nice or your clothes are nice. It's like, you know, we can have, you know, uncomfortable moments and silly moments and, you know, do something embarrassing. And it's just a joke. It's, it's no, no one makes fun of anyone. No one 
pokes at anyone. It's just, it's just comfort. I, I wish that for everyone. Yes, definitely. That's beautiful. I'm so happy for you guys. I really am. Um, and that was one of my questions, like what was different um, with him than everybody else that you've ever dated before. So that that speaks for itself. That's deep. Not to just have a, a regular compliment, but your soul is touched by him daily. And so that's sweet. That's so sweet. <laughs> well, Let's switch gears a little bit because I know that you mentioned that you did go through some trauma, but I don't know like how old you were or what exactly happened um, when you experienced trauma. I think in my life, there have been many different versions of trauma. I've had very different types. I think that the Mm -hmm. one that can give the most um, guidance to other people is my mental health struggle. I think Mm -hmm. I... I was in seventh grade. It was the summer of seventh grade. And I was at um, a resort with my family, my mom and her her partner at the time. And I went to visit another family's cabin. I had had permission. I walked over. My mom forgot she told me I could go. So she Mm -hmm. sends out this alert across the whole camp that my daughter's missing and we don't know where she is. And I was just visiting friends. And um, I got in trouble. I was the one who didn't tell anyone I was in. So, you know, that instant, I must have been... Um, 11 or 12 and it was kind of like why am I in trouble and something chemically in my head switched in that instant in that moment of panic and fear I remember it so vividly I was walking back Mm -hmm. I mean I got in trouble and the night was falling the sun was setting over the lake I walked across and there was this dock out in the lake and I remember looking at the dock and just having this very visual vivid thought why do I need to exist what would happen to the rest of the world if I went under that dock and just didn't come out? Like it wasn't a, process, a thought of, I want to end my life. It was just like a, a, a cognition that came from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it just, I got obsessive about it. And eventually when I got home, I said, mom, I need help. Something is not right with my head. Now my mom is a psychologist. She's a couples therapist. She's very renowned in her field. And she said, oh, it's nothing to worry about. Well, for years I struggled with, with suicide attempts and, um, really brain issues. It wasn't, it wasn't emotional. It wasn't emotional trauma, but it was definitely chemical. And I wasn't diagnosed with bipolar disorder until I ended up in the hospital at 22, my first semester in college. And I ended up on the psych ward because, um, the doctor I had been, um, seeing in South Carolina where in North Carolina, where I was at school, took me off all of my medications because they tried a whole bunch of stuff. And she didn't believe in birth control, so she took me off that. So my hormonal, hormonal balance was off, my chemical balance was off. And she put me on, um, I believe, Xanax. And oh someone, no idea who, either her or the pharmacist, somebody rewrote the prescription by mistake. Instead of one pill twice a day, they wrote two pills once a day. And I, being under 100 pounds, clearly overdosed on the Xanax the first night I took it. And it put me in the hospital because I was psychotic, pretty much. I mean, clinically psychotic when the paramedics showed Mm -hmm. up. But they were male paramedics. I'd had an issue with my boyfriend the night before, and it just, it all came crashing down in that moment. I wouldn't let them touch me. I mean, I still have bits and pieces of that memory. And I woke up three days later in a psych ward. No idea how I got there. No idea why I was there. And it was very much kind of like um, the opening of... um, Walking Dead, where he wakes up in the hospital and like there's nobody there. I uh-huh. walk up. I don't. They took my clothes. I had a gown on. I 
walked out and like I was on a psych ward, like a locked psych ward. And nobody for three days would tell me what I was, why I was there, or could I see a doctor? And I was trying to advocate for myself. Like, I'm not taking your medication until you tell me why I'm here. <laughs> and then I became a difficult patient. And so that whole experience set me on my professional track to go into psychology and higher education because I was like, I've seen what it's like to be a patient. Eventually, my mom flew down, got me out. We, I saw the doctor. He diagnosed me, got me on the right medication, and my life got better. But it was years of trial and error around medication and sleep. And, you know, at like, you know, 25, you want to be clubbing, you want to be drinking, you want to be partying. And the community I was involved in was very much centered around socializing. And so it was like, you know, how much can I drink before the meds kick in? Like, you know, if I drink until two and then take the meds at three, am I going to be like, I had a pumpkin hour, so I had to leave the club by three and then other people would notice. And so it was this whole kind of like not taking my body seriously. And it was like, I know I have this. I take my meds like I'm a good, good patient. I take my meds, but I'm still going to be a teenager. I'm still going to be a young adult. And I think once I got to be 29, like when the pandemic really hit, I was like, this is real. Like this is adult life. This is time to really put your body first. I was getting my certification for being a health and life coach. And I really started to put the pieces together where, you know, if I got the sleep I needed, not what the doctors told me, not what you know, my mom told me or my friends told me or, you know, woman's health tells me, but the sleep my body told me I needed, then I would be so much more stable. Then I could do 12 hours of work. Then I could keep a job. Then I could be successful. But it wasn't listening to anyone else. It was listening to my own inner needs. Some days I need 12 hours of sleep and some days I need four, you know, and it's just what does my system need today? And when I could respect that, kind of the, the medication started to be, I need less of it. But then also getting into a healthy environment, so not just a healthy relationship, but getting out of my mother's house, getting out of my town, where people who saw me as sick, they came from a loving place, but they had known me for years with this up and down struggle of bipolar. And when I could step out of that and be myself, who I was today, the strong, healthy person I was, then I could build a life around being healthy and not being sick. That was probably the biggest lesson I learned coming out of the pandemic. Yes, that's that was definitely a story of resilience. Um, I don't know if you know um, or if if this is your first time listening, guys, but I am a, a physician assistant and I do mental health and I love um, what I get to do. But also um, bipolar disorder is just as common as anxiety and depression and um, if you're not careful, most of uh, the people who suffer from bipolar disorder is depressed. Their presentation is always depression. And if you don't ask the right questions, they can be put on the wrong medication, which is frustrating for the patient. Um, and what I worry about in, in my patients that I see is uh, or why I make sure I'm not the problem or don't add to this problem, which I hope would be fixed, but um, putting them on the wrong medicine. So I spend a lot of time with them and ask a lot of questions and interview, you know, their spouse or their kids or their aunt and cousin and mom and dad, just to make sure that we're, we have the right story down so that we don't prescribe the wrong medicine. Now, do we still make mistakes? Yeah, because we're human. But um, I'm I'm proud to say, you know, we're, we've been on a strike. <laughs> we're on a streak. I mean, we've been on a streak um, with with um, 
working because that method really does work rather than spending 10 minutes with someone and thinking you understand their whole life story and then you just slap them on a medicine. You're like, all right, this should be able to fix it. All right, see you in about six weeks. I don't believe in practicing like that. So um, I'm just happy you were able to go into the hospital, even though that wasn't a a fun experience or maybe the most, they didn't do it the right way. Um, And leaving you somewhere for three days and not telling you why you're there. But at least you got a chance to know what your diagnosis was, why you're taking the medicine and what it's supposed to help with. Um, And I think that's another place we've, fall in. um, And I say we, because in the psychiatry world, some people don't tell people what their diagnosis is. They have no idea why they're taking the medicine. They just know their doctor told them to take the medicine and that it's supposed to help them, I guess, not feel the way they feel now. And I like to empower my patients by letting them be an advocate for themselves. So in case we fall out or they move or, you know, the world comes to an end or whatever, and they see another person, they can advocate for themselves and say, no, I don't need any more medication or I don't need this. I don't need that. What's going on is this. (laughs) So they can say, yes, um, I understand this and that, but what I need is this so they can be empowered and know what's going on and what they have and what's going on in their body. So I appreciate you mentioning that and being so transparent and open with us because that's important. Um, A lot of people don't know what's going on, um, especially if their family didn't talk about it or that wasn't something that grandma and grandpa did. So it wasn't something that was taught to their children. So now your mom and dad don't talk about mental health a lot or what went on. So I'm happy that you shared that because I am a mental health advocate. As you can tell, I can't shut up about it. (laughs) I'm passionate about it. Um, But I do think taking, taking control of your mental health making that option to go get help, go to therapy, you know, work out more, eat right, drink more water, all the things. Um, self-care is is definitely a big step, but it should be a part of everybody's life journey. And it's not. And so hopefully that that'll change with the stigma and everything. But I thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. I think the other piece I want to add is that even advocates, my mom is a huge mental health advocate. She's been for 40 plus years. Um, She's well known in the field and even she missed it. Even she in her home made mistakes, didn't see it for years. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing is because as young children, you know, teenagers, we're still trying to figure out what we're supposed to feel. Our hormones are crazy. We don't, because part of it was it started so young, you know, Mm -hmm. doctors told me, you can't have bipolar disorder until you're 21. And so there was a lot of this mis- I mean, I clearly had the, I've had the same symptoms since I was 12. Right. Because I was a child, they couldn't treat it. And that's changed over the years and it's very different now. But I yes. think, you know, she was trying to get me the best care she could. She was going out to get the best doctors. But, you know, this being back, you know, 90s, 2000s, early 2000s, the, the field itself just hadn't caught up with what humans are dealing with. And I think um, a lot of people, like you mentioned, with the bipolar who um, get diagnosed with depression instead, they're describing what they're feeling. The question is, are you sad? Yes, I'm sad. No, they're manic. They're having a manic experience. Their mind is going a mile a minute, but they're sad. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot to to pull apart. And I appreciate physicians like you who actually take the time to dig in because so many people don't. They 
they can't, their boss, you know, they're only allowed to see the patient for 10 minutes and then on to the next. And that's what our system needs to change. Because that's yeah, when it's, definitely. it's realistic help. Definitely. The mental health is such um, a layered thing because you're talking about what's going on at home, what went on in your family, what was it like for your parents to grow up, and then what you're going through now. We're talking about when you tried to OD. We're talking about when you cut. We're talking about so many delicate things that when you go see your primary care, of course, you're not talking about. So you've got to want to trust who you're seeing to want to open up or we can't know, we can't help. So I'm I'm so happy to know that little by little, um, mental health is changing. But if we could just erase this stigma, I would be so happy. So (laughs) we're working on it. I know it don't happen overnight, but I'm just happy for the strides that we have made. And um, I'm thankful that I get to do what I do and help people understand and and take my time with people and explain things to them. So, I mean, my supervising physician's awesome. Um, I'm a physician assistant or a physician associate because the name has changed. But either way, it doesn't change what I get to do. I get to help people every day. So I'm, I'm just thankful for that and blessed that I get to do that. But um, I definitely, definitely thank you for coming on here and sharing your story with us today. And I must say, I would have to have you come back if you let me um, put you back on the show, um, because I feel like there's so much more we can talk about. Um, But definitely, if 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 you were to give yourself any type of advice or if somebody was out there um, and they were nervous or scared, um, to take that step into self-care and taking better care of themselves and taking care of their mental health or finding love or all the things, what type of advice would you give? I think the biggest lesson, if I could look at the last phase of my life, is that I didn't fill my cup first. I, I talk about it in my coaching, my cup of life. And I was always being the best daughter. I was being the the best student, the best worker, whatever I was doing. But I never put myself first. And when I came to Canada, I started putting myself first. I didn't care if people were upset. I didn't care if people yelled at me. I knew I need to sleep now. I need to eat now. I need to, you know, go for a walk. I need to cool off. I need to be by myself. Like all of these things I always thought was being a bad daughter or being a bad friend or a bad partner. And I realized that's what makes me healthy is because Mm -hmm. I can take self-care, you know, have my cup of tea, do my journaling, do my gratitude exercises and make time for that. Everyone else feels happier because I can give so much more. So keep your cup full in order to give back. That's the best example I have as a partner, community member and um, daughter, I guess. I love that. I definitely love that. That is the realest piece of advice I've heard in a long time. But it's true. You can't pour from an empty cup, people. So definitely, um, definitely put yourself first. I love that. Well, where can my audience find you and connect with you and all of the things and give you all the feedback from this episode? Well, I would love feedback. And the best (laughs) place to connect to me is through my website soulpartnerscoaching.com and I'm offering 15 minute free strategy calls to your listeners and anyone who finds our community because even if you won't coach with me even if you're not ready to go into a a program or anything um, having that place to just have a neutral party to listen is what I'm here to do we're here to serve and to support so feel free to reach out to me I love that 
I love that. And thank you. Thank you so much. I feel so special. <laughs> and I hope my audience feels so special. Yeah, I think thank we have an so amazing much. time. Yes. I thank you so much for taking time out your day um, to talk with us and share your story. And I'm, I'm just grateful for everything that you said today. And I hope that you continue to enjoy your day. Thank you. I do, too. Beautiful Saturday, correct? Yes. Beautiful Saturday, even though it's a little cool, but still beautiful Saturday. I'm blessed to see it. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. We will definitely check in on our next episode. Make sure that you check the show notes. I always put our guest um, information down there. So her website will be listed and all the things. Okay, guys, take care of yourself and be safe. And we will check in on the next episode. Bye. We did it. for tuning in to this week's episode of God Coffee and Resilience. You can also follow us on Instagram at God Coffee and Resilience Podcast. You can also follow the host, Reese, at The Resilient PA. And you can also check out our website at TheResilientPA.com. Take care, guys.